The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, though, we'll return to the issue of housing and the cabinet agreeing. What is effectively a €1 billion plan uh, to boost housing. The delivery, uh, the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, was on the show a little bit earlier defending the plan, but he did acknowledge he can't guarantee that some of the money the developers will save in the waiving of the development levies, that it will not go straight into the developers' pockets. So I've kind of got to make, make a choice between seeing things being built or not. And if this tips the balance between marginal uh, developments that may not have happened and now will happen by increasing supply right across the country. I think that is a good thing, and this will apply as well to people who are building their own home. And I know from talking to people who build their own home, uh, the costs associated with that, and that is a real saving okay. uh, for those people. So, so in other words, if, if a developer pockets this as extra profit, well, that's not ideal, but it's the lesser of two evils if, as a consequence of these, he's building more units. I don't expect that to be the case in the main, Kieran. to be honest with you. Okay, so great faith in uh, property developers and uh, builders. And Dara O'Brien, the Minister for Housing. Conor Skeen is a Sunday Independent columnist. Uh, Conor, do you have the same faith? He's an honest man. Uh, It was an honest question. Um, I think at the end of the day, all of these things are more likely than not to end up in the bottom line of the developer. And uh, what we are doing is, as you said earlier, and has been said by others today, we're giving money directly to developers, uh, cutting out the middleman. And uh, I think that there are far better ways of spending money. But I think it's, it's the thin end of the wedge of a much bigger problem that has ruined Ireland before, of which more later. Okay, so let's talk about, before we get to the bigger problems uh, that we need to be solving, uh, on this, uh, the the Minister's defence is that, and he did, you know, he he acknowledged, look, they will put it in their pockets, some of them, but if it means that they build more houses in the long run, well, you know, doesn't the end justify the means? I have to confess, I heard the article earlier and the most worrying thing he was saying, and again, no disrespect, the ministry is doing his best, but uh, the most worrying thing was the sense of you can never have enough housing. Uh, We've ruined our country once with that attitude. The other thing is that that money has to come from somewhere. Those wires and pipes have to be paid for and it's just the taxpayer that are paying for it. We were originally at least seeing a connection between public expenditure and the person who benefited from it, be the person who bought the house or the developer. There are certainly cases for saying that there are more subtle ways of doing it. You could have spread the uh, development levies out over 20 years or something like that. Um, but uh, th- this, is, this is not a good precedent. This is more politicians giving away public money. I, I mean... The other question that I was putting uh, to him, I'm, I'm not quite sure I, I, I got an entirely clear answer, um, and again, no disrespect to the Minister, was whether there's evidence that we need to do anything on this front, because while commencement notices, there was a worrying trend towards the end of last year, there was a dip in them, uh, they, they, they upticked again early this year. January was a record month for commencement notices. Yeah. I mean, which would fly in the face of the argument that, you know, we desperately need to do something with these developers to prompt them to get going. I thought that was a point you made very well and the Minister, with all due respect again, didn't have a straight answer to it. And this is incredibly important thing in housing markets. Housing markets are always teetering on an edge of oversupply and undersupply. And when it starts to go into oversupply, it's a runaway train. A runaway train in housing wrecked the Irish economy in 2008. We already have to start to watch out for the dangers of oversupply. And do you see the early signs of that? 
I certainly see the attitudes of it, yeah. Which okay. Is, uh, you know, w- without any doubt, without any doubt, the Irish housing market was overstimulated prior to 2006, 2008, and that's what caused this problem. So when you mentioned, though, a few minutes earlier that there, there are bigger problems that we need to be dealing with, what are those bigger problems? Well, I heard the, over, the introduction that you made before this piece and uh, you were talking about Celtic Tiger 2. Celtic Tiger 1 was caused by exactly that, by an oversupply of housing. Uh, in, uh, when, in 2007, I think it was, we built close on 100,000 houses in a year in this country. And uh, once you get to those figures, uh, the supply uh, overshoots demand. Overshoot. Housing is really complex because it's about two or three years between the the famous spade going into the ground and the house Mm. coming out of it. And that overshoot is what causes the problem uh, and uh, what destroys economies. So the the housing for all target is about 30,000 homes per year. Now, uh, as far as I can gather, this is kind of going to be additional uh, uh, to that target, which is an acknowledgement, I think. We might talk to Danny McConnell from the Business Post in a moment about this, the politics of all this. It seems to be kind of an acknowledgement from the department, from the minister, that uh, those targets are too low. They should be up around forty five, fifty thousand, which is what some suggest. There's also an argument that, you know, we need to catch up on the lag that's already in the system, which is... It depends who you believe, anywhere up to a quarter of a million homes. Is there not an argument that you do overshoot targets until you catch up or is the problem that you can't then apply the brakes? That's the, exactly the problem. You can't apply the brakes and then the house uh, next door to you sells for 50 or 100,000 less than you're expecting. Suddenly your house is undervalued even though you have no intention of, uh, of, of, of selling it but now you're in negative equity. That's how it happens. It's as simple as that. So how then do you close that gap if you accept and maybe you don't maybe, or do you accept that, you know, that, that we are undersupplied at the moment in this country Housing. that we do need to, to catch up I think I think it's definitely the case we need to catch up, not okay. just in terms of overall numbers, but particular locations. But housing markets are tricky and sticky. Mm. And that means you have to watch the data like a hawk, like a hawk. And I thought the point you made at the beginning about the fact that we're now seeing housing starts, the lots of 28, 30,000 a year, we're into sane territory again. There will be, and in your show, you need to watch out for people telling you, oh, 35, 40, 45,000, 50, 55,000, do I hear 60,000, 65,000 to yes. that? The CIF at the back of the room, you know? And that's how it all falls apart. Uh, and we are better then to just stick with targets at the lower end of the range because you're more likely then, as you say, to maintain that kind of balancing act successfully and then when you do catch up you're not going to suddenly find yourself in an overheated oversupplied market. Yeah, I mean the, the we have to be careful about using the word targets, right? Yeah. All, all the government can do as the minister was, was crank about they can incentivise they can activate things but the, the government don't build houses the private sector build houses and that's just the way that works in, in our particular type of economy. Uh, so what we need to do is watch those figures very carefully and be for God's sake be honest with ourselves. And what do you say, though, to people who, who are chiefly concerned, maybe as they should be, with the human cost of it all? And they yeah. think, you know, hold on, this all sounds fine from a kind of very cold economic point of view, as Connor describes it. But if you're saying that we're not going to have a kind of a functioning and well-balanced housing market for several years because of the danger of overheating, that means several more years of you know, people in emergency accommodation, people graduating from college and having nowhere to go, moving back with the parents. Yeah, well, as I always say to people, the biggest thing I learned about housing, it's emotional. No matter what you say, it's going to be emotional. And I've been accused of being too cold in the past. I put my hand up and I agree to that. But there are still people in this country in negative equity since 2006. 
That's a long time for those people to have suffered. And those very parents who today are saying my child can't get into the housing market today are the very the very people who will be absolutely upset if they're told tomorrow morning their house, their house, not their children's house, their house is worth 10, 15 or 20 percent less because of an overshoot. To what extent are we in the grip of an Irish problem or a global problem? Um, I keep trying to get people's attention to the fact this is a global uh, problem. Anybody who's got a computer, tap in the word global housing crisis and uh, you'll see that I get killed for this and I hope it's not contagious and you don't get killed for it. <laughs> but on international tables of house to uh, housing to income ratios of prices, of price increases, Ireland is way down uh, the world rankings, if you want to call it. They're not good rankings. These are the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. Mm. And uh, all of them show that, yes, we have an issue in Ireland, but we're the same as the rest of the world. And there are people who are five times worse than us. Go off over to places like Canada. Or and when you say worse than us, you mean in terms of the affordability of housing relative to income? Everything. Affordability, house price increase, absolute house prices. And uh, to look at those and to see even huge complex countries like Germany, uh, they're they're really suffering from it. I go to my daughter on Thursday and she can't get an apartment for loving her money. Uh, and are the factors that are causing this the same in all of these countries? There must be peculiarities, but broadly speaking. Broadly speaking, the whole thing comes from a very low interest rate, a protracted period of very low interest rate uh, that caused people who had money they wanted to invest to look for something better. And they were driven in to uh, the housing market. And then people who were building houses were tempted to build houses for the high end of the market like that. And that soaked up the capacity, yes. Uh, um, what about those investors now? What is the, uh, the, the attitude likely to be of investors looking at, at announcements like today, kind mm. of further tinkering with the rules and regulations in this country. Uh, you're leading me on here now. You know, you <laughs> know, spoon you feeding. <laughs> here, here comes the airplane. <laughs> it is tinkering with the rules uh, about uh, everything from subsidies through to rent that's causing a lot of the harm. The big thing with housing is just to leave it alone. Mm. Way back when Owen Murphy used to be the minister, I said to, to him, Minister, just whatever you do, do nothing. Just do nothing and do it for about three to five years and announce that's what you're going to do. And uh, that's what the market really needs is stability and certainty. Connor Skeen, Sunday Independent columnist. Connor, thanks a million for joining us uh, on the show. I mentioned Danny McConnell, who's the editor with The Business Post. Danny, uh, when we look at this kind of politically, not so much economically, I mean, well, what is the view or the assessment today? A, a, an acknowledgement from the government that, you know, housing for all in terms of, you know, the public consciousness is not quite cutting it. Yeah, it's a tacit acknowledgement, Kieran, that you know their their much fated plan, housing for all, is not working, um, because you're, you're essentially rewriting the script less than two years after its publication. You have, I suppose, the backdrop of you know Minister O'Brien, uh, I think, as you articulated in your interview, you know, missing targets left, right, and centre, and and not delivering on what they said they were going to do in housing for all, which itself was an acknowledgement that you know demand was was higher than what they thought they were ever going to get to. So housing for all, even if it, it worked fully, was never going to fully address the demand that was in the market. Um, and ultimately, what you now have is further, I think, essentially tinkering around the edges rather than grappling with the major and, and the, the, the central problem. Um, and I think Connor's points are well made and are actually kind of well articulated. We did literally flip, and I remember vividly, warnings in 2011 and 2012 when we were still consumed with conversation of ghost estates, you know, people warning within the industry that we won't have enough houses. We weren't here because councils had stopped by, you know, doing social housing. All capital spending from a government level had all but stopped. So, you know, we did literally jump from one problem and we, we we sprung right to the to the other problem, uh, and ultimately, what you now have also almost nine years after Alan Kelly as housing minister describing this as an emergency, councils all over the country still not building a single house. You know, so 
that, that anomaly has to stop as well. And ultimately what you have is a political failure uh, of the Department mm. of Housing to kind of get that to get that particular issue sorted. But you also still have a huge number of vacant units and vacant houses all over the country in towns and cities all over the country that are not being used that could easily have been, you know, repurposed very quickly to a much lower cost than uh, building new homes. You know, when you've up to 90,000 to 100,000 vacant units in the country, um, you know, that, getting a large portion of those up and running would, would go a long way to solving our, our, our problem and yeah. addressing that supply issue. But for some reason, the system is either una- is unable or unwilling to, to, to grasp that nettle. Yeah. And ultimately, you have politicians coming out, eyeing the next election, because we're now very much into election season. Um, you know, they're now scrambling to try and get a quick fix and trying to show some sort of um, you know progress to the people when they go to the to the polls next time around because they know housing for all will ultimately have failed. Uh, to, to what extent? Let, let, let's there's going to be plenty of people getting in touch as there often is uh, uh, disagreeing fundamentally with what Connor says. But let's assume for a moment, for the purpose of the conversation, that he is uh, bang on the money and the best way to manage this is to effectively do nothing and it's a case of kind of short term pain, long term again for some people not for all but for some people the people kind of in the teeth of the crisis there will be a real temptation there won't there for this government and subsequent government during that period to raid the coffers given how much money we now know are in those coffers the difficulty is, Kieran, and I think what the current circumstance and the current problem shows is money is not the issue it's capacity of delivery is the issue so you now you like you have Billions, you know, between the 165 billion on the table for the national development plan, you have housing for all, you know, 11 billion plus. Money's not the issue. The money's committed. The problem is the, you know, we don't have enough skilled labourers in the country to actually build all these houses. You know, materials are, are proving difficult to source. So ultimately, it's not a money issue. It's now a capacity of delivery issue. And ultimately, no, no amount of, of, I suppose, you know, government talking and committing of budgets, um, you know, will make any difference on that. Like that, and that goes to the point of Dara Bryan underspending his budget repeatedly now up to the tune of almost two billion uh, in his department because you you literally have um you know an inability of the system to deliver the kind of the demand that that that's there um so you know the, the temptation i'm sure from from a cold economic perspective is to do nothing but a political reality is that the government which is you know nine years into a housing crisis needs to be seen to be doing something you know simon coveney failed alan kelly failed to address this properly owen murphy clearly you know failed in his in his time as, as housing minister and Dara Bryan, you know, came in promising that he would, you know, deliver the plan that would change all of this and turn the corner and all that kind of stuff. It hasn't, hasn't as of yet. And ultimately now we're in the second half of this, the term of this government. And they now have to ultimately start justifying their performance. But when you have that underspend coming, you know, being reported, when you see councils not building houses and you have officials essentially dragging their heels and at war with each other over over trying to get stuff done, it ill behoves that sort of success or that 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 picture of success that Darren mm. Bryant would like would like to paint. But ultimately, you know, you know, this government is going to have a very, very hard time of it coming to the public, you know, in terms of the polls at the next general election, be it next year or whenever it is, yeah. and trying to sell a convincing story around housing. They simply aren't in a position to do it. Danny McConnell, editor of the Business Post, Connor Skeen, Sunday Independent, uh, columnist, gentlemen. Thank you both very much for joining me here in the show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk.